I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and at the moment we're doing things a bit differently. Because of the epidemic we're chatting to experts about mental health and all things around the coronavirus epidemic. Today, I'm chatting to Marjorie Wallace. She's the CEO and founder of mental health charity SANE. We're going to be finding out about how the epidemic is affecting those with long-term mental health issues around the country and what SANE is doing to support them. Well, SANE is a charity, a mental health charity, which I founded over 30 years ago. And I founded it then because we called it the forgotten illness. I was a journalist, investigative journalist. And at that time, nobody was writing about mental health. It was confused with mental handicap and with the care in the community had started. But people were being thrown out of hospitals, onto the streets, shop doors and back to families who simply couldn't cope. So that was the beginning of SANE. Then then Sane had three aims. One was to um, actually do research into the causes and better treatments and therapies. And we have a research centre in Oxford called the Prince of Wales International Centre for Sane Research. And the second aim was to continue with campaigning for improved services and fighting and giving some voice to the mentally ill people. And the third aim was to be able to give immediate help and that we did in the form of a helpline. It was the first mental health helpline which was set up over 25 years ago um, where anyone can ring, any member of the public, whether it's a carer, family member, a professional person or a person with any mental condition themselves. So that's what uh, SANE does and our main activity now is of course trying to keep in contact with the people who are ringing us who are becoming more and more desperate. 
Yes, the line that you mentioned there, that's called sane line. That's right, isn't it? Yes. What are some of the main things that people are coming to you with at the moment? Loneliness and isolation. They're slightly different things. It's not the sort of isolation we're talking about. It's the way that sort of loneliness is pervading their minds and the fact that you go on month after month is becoming something very desperate for some people. They're also calling more about other people because they're very anxious about other people. 30% of our callers are talking about active suicide steps. Yeah, that's incredibly worrying. The, the reasons for this are partly that people are afraid to seek the help they are um, maybe offered, but partly because so much has been withdrawn. I mean, people are told that their phone calls that they're getting for are going to be cancelled, they were going to get counselling that's been postponed, there have been diversion of the mental health nurses, and there are very few of them anyway. There are 7,000 vacancies before the uh, pandemic. Um, they've been called away to deal with COVID patients. So there's more and more attrition on the mental health services so that uh, people who really need that kind of contact to sustain them are getting less and less at the moment. They're also afraid that their problems are trivial compared with people who are dying want to overwhelm the NHS. Now, that is a very dangerous situation. You've heard that about physical illnesses. What's your opinion of some of the things that are being on people long-term mental health issues at the moment, like, for instance, phone calls or um, video counselling, things like that? Well, quite a lot of the people who are contacting us are not, are not as happy with video counselling as, as they are with face-to-face encounters or people where they can feel in contact. But what we offer with our callback service, they do appreciate what they... One call often isn't enough, but if they know that someone is uh, thinking about them, is going to call them back. If they know they've got a point of contact, so they're not in this black hole that they're suddenly left in, the sense of being in limbo, that can mean a great deal. And we've been getting incredible tributes from people saying that just knowing that you're there and knowing that you are going to be in touch with us is, um, you know, keeps us going through the day. So that's very, very important. But of course, we can only do so much Uh, what we are hoping is that the mental health services will be prepared for this as as we were and should have been for the pandemic itself. And the problem is, with all the diversion of resources, we're worried that they're not going to be there for what is going to be possibly an epidemic of people who've reached a crisis point in mental illness. Do you think this is basically a sort of mental health time bomb waiting to happen in terms of the epidemic? Yes, we definitely think that we're sitting on a time bomb well, we're getting uh, many more people with very, very high anxiety. I mean, obviously, they ring us normally with anxiety, but now the anxiety rates are very much higher and also a feeling that they have nowhere to turn. I'll give an example of a call that came the other day. There was a young woman and she'd been discharged from hospital having attempted suicide and she was told to wait at home for a follow-up call from the care team and then she waited and waited and then they said it was cancelled and then she felt she had absolutely nowhere to go and she didn't want to ring up uh, the NHS because she felt her problems were trivial that she was thinking of suicide and blaming herself and yet she was still very very suicidal so she Mm -hmm. rang us and thank heaven she did because we've been able to sustain her and she's much less suicidal. Um, You mentioned earlier um, 
family and friends calling you and asking for advice in these sort of situations as well. Um, what sort of things should they be do, doing to support people with long-term mental health issues? It's obviously a very difficult time for them. Yes, it's extremely difficult for carers. I mean, just imagine that you're there, you're a mother or, a, uh, or you were a young person and it's about your mother and you are there and normally if you would go round, um, if somebody's in a flat or living in a, you know, a council place or on their own somewhere, uh, you would, if they didn't pick up the phone, you would immediately go round or you would send somebody from the care team or some neighbour round to see they're all right, especially if they were suicidal or self-harming. And now, of course, you can't do that. And so people are getting extremely anxious when they don't get a response because there's so little they can do about it. So we're getting more calls from people who feel absolutely helpless that, that what can they do because they can't go down and knock down the door they can't um they don't know what's happened to the person that, that they feel responsible for what would you suggest that they that they do themselves like should they be stepping in on people's behalf if they aren't sure about now contacting their gps or should they be sort of trying to do more um phone calls or zoom calls would that make a difference do you think well, the trouble is, you know, with people of the extreme paranoia, you know, Zoom calls and phone calls can be very difficult. This is a trouble. You are dealing with mental illness here, which is very much harder than physical illness because, you mm-hmm. know, people are afraid in a very different way of um, things that are happening. But, yes, I think I think contact's really important. And I think as regular contact as possible, we try and do as much contact once somebody's contacted us. And I think family and friends, they just have to go on and on trying to sustain contact in whichever way is possible. Because if, when a person falls out of contact, then there is a danger that they maybe fall out of reality and they fall out of... Um, being able to look for help for themselves. So uh, contact and sustaining contact is very important. How have you seen things changing um, over the course of the epidemic in the sort of problems that you've been seeing and things people have been coming to you with? Well, we're just really concerned that the longer that it goes on, people are awfully stoic at first and cope very well, really, in the first week or so. But it's as this goes on and this degree of uncertainty, and uncertainty is something with somebody who's already very much on the edge, can't really take. They, they, they find it very hard to take. So our worry is that people will withdraw into themselves. They won't um, keep contact. They haven't got any of the normal sustaining outlets that they have and that they will deteriorate as, as, they, as they do say to us on the cause. They say, we feel my depression is deteriorating. I'm going into a negative spiral. And, um, you know, just not being able to have the normal ways of getting help and the fact that it's been so reduced and cut down by the mental health services is leaving people at risk. What should the NHS and the government be doing to support people's mental health at the moment? Well, we believe that just as has been said about people with um, physical problems, you know, like having pains on their arms or possible heart pains and uh, stroke. What we would urge is that people with mental illness continue to realise that the NHS is there for them and continue to seek help from their GPs. And people are really now afraid of going to A&E if they've self-harmed very badly. And uh, we'd like to give the message to them that the, the NHS is for them 
it's not just for people with COVID, that people with mental and physical illness, other illnesses, they can seek help and they can receive that help. But also it's really important that people who are under care teams, for instance, that those care teams don't just withdraw their services or keep it to minimal contact, that they actually make an extra effort to keep people in contact. They phone more often, they check on them more often, and that they are getting prepared. The government should be preparing for what might be an epidemic of mental illness as the months go on, that they should be having beds ready for people who have reached crisis point and can't actually live on their own in the community. They should be having consultants there ready to give medications for people who may have just stopped taking them. And they should have uh, trained mental health nurses. In fact, they should be preparing for the, for the, the fallout of uh, mental illness from this pandemic. How bad do you think this fallout could be? Well, I think uh, it depends how long it goes on. But uh, but the more people don't receive support and treatment, the more likely they are to reach crisis point and then to become very ill and um, and to recovery take a long time and for them to be at risk. So it's it's really a question of sustaining people through this period. Uh, so that they don't reach this uh, breakdown that they might otherwise reach. I totally agree with you that government should be sort of reinforcing that the NHS is still there for them, because I I can see sort of just from friends and family that that has been a real sort of risk, everyone's sort of stepping back from it and thinking it's just from COVID. Um, What do you think of the government's efforts efforts so far in terms of mental health? Because they have been sort of putting out some messages and um, campaigns like Every Mind Matters. Well, I think the government's efforts so far has not really been much help to the sort of people who are ringing us in desperation. Mm. I mean, a lot of the people ringing us in desperation don't necessarily have digital contacts. So all this referring them to digital help and apps and so on is not necessarily helpful to the kind of people that we are dealing with mm-hmm. we're getting many more calls from people over the age of 60 now than we normally do now again they aren't necessarily technically savvy enough or, or used to this that kind of contact and then they did give this five million which we're grateful for which they gave for mental health but when you think of the billions going out on everything else it's not going to go all that far. And what you're needing for people who have underlying mental health conditions, who are also self-isolating, what you're needing is people prepared to listen to them and to give them time. That's the sort of thing we do. It's sane. It's the sort of thing that other people can do. But that does, it's, it doesn't come cheap. You have to pay for professionals to do that. And you need to have people in touch with their patients and encouraging them to have regular contact. Absolutely. What do you think the long-term effect of the epidemic will have on the nation's mental health? Well, I think for the people who already have severe underlying mental health conditions, it will reinforce uh, quite a lot of their worst fears, you might say. You know, there's a thing in, in therapy where you're sort of told you're catastrophizing if you say something. And of course, you know, we are. We're in the middle of a catastrophe. Um, so for the for people who are that way, if, they, if their mind is already there, I think that's going to be uh, a really reinforcing 
their worst fears. And therefore, they're going to need extra support and extra uh, uh, counselling support and therapy when the pandemic ends. But also, we're getting a lot of people who have never called before, who haven't had mental health problems before, but they're finding that they are developing them. People with incipient obsessive compulsive disorder, for instance, you know, they find they're washing their hands till they're quite raw. Um, people, uh, you know, people who are already maybe a little bit on the edge, they're finding that they are being tipped over the edge. And so I think we're going to have a sort of new cohort of uh, people with need of counselling, with the need of bringing them back so that the new normal is um, something that's acceptable to them and that they can learn to live with that without it turning them into this negative spiral of depression and despair. What do you think are the most crucial things that the government should bring in in place for after the epidemic um, to sort of lessen the effect of this mental health time bomb that you mentioned? I think what the government should be doing is that they should make sure that not all the resources are taken away from people with mental illness, as seems to be happening at the moment. Many of the nurses and many of the people are, are going and are being diverted. They should make sure that they keep a good, healthy workforce of people who are professionals in mental illness. Uh, they should make sure that there are always some crisis beds available in every trust. Only the other day, a person down the road that I know um, was uh, sectioned under the Mental Health Act, very, very ill, but taken to a hospital in London, no beds, no beds available, and still driven right out to Reading. Now, that should not be happening, and that mustn't happen in the future. There should be sufficient number of crisis beds available in every trust. It's obviously a very difficult time for everyone at the moment, but when people sort of call your line, what advice do you give to people struggling and what advice do you have for people in general in terms of looking after their mental health at the moment? Don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to be contacting us or other people. Um, that it, it is hard at the moment, but that it's it will be over and that you have got inner resources, that you do have inner strength. All of us have some inner strengths that we don't tap into all the time. And we say, you don't have to do that on your own. There are people who will be able to listen to you, understand you, um, and somebody like our volunteers trained to be able to help you find those inner resources to take you through the darker time. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time out and coming on to chat to me. If you've been affected by anything we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. You can also email them. That address is joe at samaritans.org. For more information on SANE and for their support forum, you can go to sane.org.uk. At the moment, their SANE line isn't running, but if you call SANE and leave a message, one of their professionals or volunteers will call you back as soon as they can. The number to ring for them is 07984 967 708. 
On their website, sane.org.uk, you can also sign up to TextCare. It's a way to get emotional support and a way of getting connection, but it's not a crisis service. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.